Jesus Culture Encounter Conference is coming to Sacramento March 9th through 11th. Come join us in our hometown as we gather with people of common faith and passion to encounter God. Speakers include Jensen Franklin, John Gray, Dave Gibbons, Rebecca Lyons, and Banning Liebscher. With worship by Bethel Music with Brian and Jen Johnson, and of course, Jesus Culture. Tickets are on sale now at jcconference.com. That's jcconference.com. Enter the code JCSAC for $10 off. Again, that code is JCSAC for $10 off the Jesus Culture Encounter Conference. You're listening to the Jesus Culture Sacramento Church Podcast. I began fasting as a young man. I was involved in all-night prayer meetings. Um, I, I think it's because I got saved in a revival, a move of God that was amazing. And I longed to see it again. I thought it was the norm, uh, but it became the exception. And now I've been saved be 45 years in May. And so I long again, before I leave this earth, to see a move of God that will blow your minds, that will sweep through. I mean... This little building in Smartsville that I got saved in, there were six old ladies praying for a move of God. And um, when it came in the form of 18 barefoot, long-haired, walking germs standing in front of the church, and communes began to get saved, hippie communes, uh, four little ladies left the church. They said that was not what we were looking for. One of them was Susie, my wife's grandma, and another one was Mrs. Carney. Susie's grandma... Um, had a stroke and was uh, lived a number of years, but she was not able to remain in that little church. But Mrs. Carney, four foot nothing, would stand up, 90 years of age, and she, you know, she was standing, you didn't know. And uh, we'd say, Mrs. Carney, once a month, you know, and she says, I'm just so proud of you young people. And she hung with us. You know, I had very long hair. When I got saved, I shaved my head, tried to get rid of my vanity. It took more than that. But, you know, th- there was a move of God and uh, the building had no air conditioning in the hot summers here, tin roof, filled with people. And when, if you preached, you'd have to stand because there were people all around you. And sweat would go down your leg as you were preaching. And God was moving. And we thought it was going to happen all the time. But it was a special dispensation of God. Typically, as I study revivals, they may last in certain pockets for a year, two years max. But it was a season of God, and yet I'm believing for it again. And so that's really one of the great impetuses in my heart for prayer and fasting. I'm happy for the the lesser things that happen, but I'm looking for a move of God, the latter rain, whatever that may be, to happen again while I'm still happening here. Um, Ironically, God uh, sent me to L.A. in 1989 and became part of a church uh, with Cheon as the pastor, and Lou Engel was one of the elders, and we spent four and a half years together, and this was Lou in the fledgling days. This was Lou in a a little funky room in Mott Auditorium, you know, furniture that had been discarded, put there, and we had all-night prayer meetings in my house at that time, and, uh, you know, Lou obviously is a monster now, but in in that time, I was traveling as an evangelist, and Lou would come with me on occasion, I'd have him speak for 10 minutes, and, how did I do, brother? Lou, that was, was it okay? You know, know, so Lou uh, is amazing Lou, but, but he carved out, you know, that amazing dimension of intercession, the call of God on his life. And, uh, you know, we each have the call and grace in our lives. But I want to share 
a, a number of scriptures with you, and I want to talk about the, the prophet Elisha, because I believe, you know, when you, when you see a sold-out, all-in person, it really is meant to motivate you that perhaps God has called me to be all-in. You know, I've been in ICU wards with people who had partial passion, but when their daughters are hooked up to machines, suddenly... I mean, they're ready to pray hot prayers. They're ready to have tears go down their face. Never forget a, a man who had come in and out of the church, really marginal in terms of any level of commitment, only seen him a few times, but his young daughter was going in for an operation. And I remember the, the physical spot, you know, 15 or so years ago, when he looked in my eyes and he said, my daughter's going for an operation. And he goes, I want your entire staff to come to the hospital at five o'clock in the morning. And I remember listening. And again, I wouldn't chide him. He was that desperate. But honestly, he was marginal in terms of his commitment to the Lord. But something had been touched. And now he wanted, he wanted an army of people to come in the middle of the night. And all that provoked me was the fact, when you think I couldn't, if something is touched in your life, you will. I think of the soldiers that have given their life, you know, who maybe didn't think they could, but at a certain point in a battle, you know, millions of Americans have died over the years in various wars. And so you're in a war. Everyone in this room is a wrestler. Everyone is. You're all wrestling against principalities and powers, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And you may think you're indifferent toward the battle, but if they're coming for someone you love... If they're coming for something dear to you, you will pay that price. Now, I know I'm a very intense person. My wife balances me out. Um, my wife had a very healthy upbringing, and I've forgiven her for that. But <laughs> my particular upbringing provoked me uh, to really scrap, to fight. Um, and um, that's my personality as well. I remember talking to one of our staff members many years ago. We were at a filing cabinet, filing something away, and I just felt like I'd ask her, do you think I'm very intense? She stopped. She looked at me and she said, you are the most intense person I've ever met in my entire life. So that's a yes, right? That's a yes, right? So I, I realize we all have different temperaments. Um, at our Christmas uh, staff party this year, um, I mentioned the statement. I said, you know, I'm an optimist. And my wife, she turned at that point to our co-senior pastor, and she just began to laugh and said, did he just say he's an optimist? <laughs> and both of them, you know, Bob, my co-senior pastor, has known me for 30 years. He started laughing too, so they both just start laughing. And, and no one else in the room was laughing because there, it was between them. And I said, what are you guys laughing at? And, and they just laughed. They said, no, it's okay, it's okay. But I realized, as, as they told me, and I did laugh later on, I realized that I'm a choleric melancholy who is fighting for every bit of optimism I get. I don't have any, I don't wake up to low-hanging low hope. I, I wake up with machetes and I'm hacking through the jungle. That, that's just, you know, my wife is phlegmatic, she's easygoing, you know. Why, you know, I, I didn't know God liked me till 13 years ago. I knew he loved me in some kind of generic way, but I didn't know he really liked me. When, when I realized he liked me, it set me free. And my wife, you know, she called her dad, daddy her whole life, and that's awesome. But, you know, why wouldn't God like me is her words. 
So we each have a different background. My co-senior pastor is sanguine, and so he's a bubbly, you know, enjoys life. So they both have a kind of a uh, get-out-of-free optimism card, and, and they're just um, feeling great about life. Uh, some of us who have to fight for that optimism um, recognize there's a battle that goes on. And I think it also prepares us for the thick of it. You know, right now our nation is in a challenging dimension, right? And so for me, because I'm, I'm very close in particular to, uh, we live in a multiracial society, uh, particularly California, I'm sorry, is the most uh, predominant ethnic group in California are Hispanics now as of last March. Uh, the, in Sacramento, it's the most integrated city in, Cal- in um, America, and it's the second most multiracial next to Oakland. And so because City Pastors Fellowship uh, has grown to encompass hundreds of churches around the Sacramento region, over the years it's developed incredible rapport and friendship with leaders from all kinds of ethnic backgrounds. But with all that's happening in our nation, the tension and things, I found myself on the phone on Saturday which is today, Sunday still? It's amazing. So yesterday, um, for hours, uh, with leaders in the region, spending talking with them and us you know, talking about what's going on and how we can continue to work together as there is a fragility and a tension in our nation that can begin to rob some of the unity we've experienced. There has been incredible unity. But guys, it's as fragile as it's been on our watch. And it it requires at this point, if I wasn't fasting, I would start right now because we are at that that moment. And so I'm going to show a story here about the prophet Elijah, Elisha. Again, Elijah uh, was the original. Um, Elijah uh, was able to perform 14 miracles, but he passed a double portion on to Elisha. And Elisha performed 28 miracles. I remember my, my daughters years ago, they said to me, Dad, your ceiling is our floor. And so they, they were going to build on in my own life. And again, my father was not a faithful man. He was not a Christian. Uh, even though my mother was a praying Catholic who morphed into a greater intercession, uh, I did not have uh, a neat package generationally handled to me. My father probably died with prostitutes in the room as a politician um, 50 years ago this past December 28th. And so I had to get stuff off me in order to be able to be clear-headed enough to carve out a generational blessing and now on our grandchildren believing for that. I don't know what you've been given, but what you take from this moment on can change generations beyond you. So, Elisha, here's the story. Elisha... um, Uh, was a traveling prophet, and a woman, graciously, a wealthy woman, opened up her home and even built a prophet's chamber for him. Uh, He would come by periodically, and at a certain point, he said to his uh, assistant, Gehazi, uh, what could I do for this woman? And so Gehazi said, you know, uh, she doesn't have any children. Maybe you could pray for a son. And so he then prophesied under the unction of the Lord for her to have a son. Uh, She said, oh, man of God, please don't. He goes, no, a year from now, uh, you will have a child. And so as it it took place. But then uh, in the providence of God, uh, that child died. 
And it was tragic and crushing. And this woman, obviously, she had a child. He was a small boy. Now he's dead. Uh, and a situation occurred where she then felt the unction to go to Elisha to find him. And so unusual for her to show up. She shows up. He sees her from a distance, sends Gehazi out to meet her. Uh, and she doesn't want to talk to Gehazi. She wants the man. She wants the man of God. And so he asks her, is everything okay? She goes, yeah, things are fine. Then she finally sees Elisha. And the de- I want you to understand desperation. She falls at his feet, grabs his feet, and just sobs and says, my son is dead. Now again, think of the joy, the exhilaration of having a son in, in, in your old age, if you will. And then think of the, think of the heart-wrenching dimensions. I, I'm trying to get all of us in touch. You know, my daughter's, you know, say, because I cry more than they do, that my dad's almost a girl. And I find that as an incredible compliment (laughs) for my life. This builds up my inner masculinity. But whatever temperament or background you have, I will tell you, if something is touched in your life, you'll cry like a little girl. And I don't want to wait till something touches my life before I'm burdened. I want to preclude the issue. I want to anticipate it. I want to be a prophetic person in the tip of the arrow, not back in the feathers. I want to determine, God, what should I be preparing myself for? What stewardship are you giving me? I remember kneeling at my daughter's door in the middle of the night, just praying for them, because I did not have a healthy upbringing. And I, I didn't know what I, I did. When my wife got pregnant, I had no clue about how to have kids. And I was very concerned about it because I, you know, I, I didn't even know if I could be a father. Even being a pastor, it took, you know, I remember the first time um, uh, one of my tra- traveling friends came by maybe 15 years ago. And he said, Francis, why do you always refer to yourself as a coach? And I said these words. I said, I don't want to appear to be controlling And when I said those words, they were so deformed, I realized, is every father controlling? Are there coaches that are not controlling? And so I realized that I had a mangled view of fathering. I didn't, and then I finally, we had an interactive thing in our church at that time where you could vote. And I asked the question the next week in the services, I said, would you like me to be a pastor, an older brother, a coach, or a father? And 70% said a father. And you would think that would be exciting, but that was terrifying. I thought, gosh, that's a high expectation <laughs> for my life, you know. The Bible says, who is sufficient for these things? You know, we think about, you know, the mightiness of men of God. Paul the Apostle said, who is weak? And I am not weak. You know, if in our weakness he's made strong, then you should anticipate weakness is coming for you. And the greatest things you'll ever do will be done in weakness. So when we talk about fasting, it's not the pinstripes on the car. It's part of the engine. It's not some little you know, peripheral thing that some people may do at different points. And I realize in America, you know, America is a cushy place. You can have food come to your house. I mean, you could get it in a microwave in an instant. And I remember as a young Christian hearing a man named Brother Andrew, who a uh, European uh, man of God who go, went to hard communist nations smuggling Bibles. He's called God's smuggler. I remember him saying this, I only come to America when God tells me I have to. 
In America, the Christians are very comfortable. I only go to, and I thought at that point, I don't want to be an American Christian. I want to be a world Christian. And I realize you're on a Sunday night, some of you guys are going, man, that's so stinking intense. Yeah, read the Bible. You know, this year, this past year, 90,000 Christians were martyred around the world. 600, 600 million Christians cannot worship openly. The last couple of years, Christians are the most persecuted group. One third of them were killed by groups like ISIS. And so I, I don't want to be anesthetized by being an American. I don't want to get to heaven and God goes, you are so hung up on the American thing. I wanted you to be a world Christian. Now, much of what I say is for me. I'm trying to wake me up. I'm trying to stay awake. I don't want to walk in my sleep and talk in my sleep. And I'm not your pastor, so I can talk as aggressively as I want to. Because <laughs> I don't have to come back next week. And you don't have to hear me either. But when someone th throws the bait of talk about prayer and fasting, this is not a light topic for me. This is a life and death topic. So Elisha has this woman at her feet, at his feet. And so he sends Gehazi on ahead. He's going to go. But he sends Gehazi on ahead to go to the room. And the woman, as soon as the child had died, took him up to the prophet's chamber and laid him on the prophet's bed. That was the closest she could get to God in the middle of her agony. And then she immediately saddled the donkey and just went. And now Gehazi goes ahead of a man of God and goes into the room. The child's dead. The little boy's dead. Takes the staff, puts it on the child's head. Then nothing happens. He goes back to Gehazi and said, nothing happened. The child is still dead. And so... 2 Kings will continue. That was verse 31. Verse 32. It looks like failure. And let me say this to you guys. You're going to fail more than you're going to succeed. I'm talking about your experience. You're not going to feel like nothing but net. I, I, when I fast, it is hard. I love food. I'm Italian. Food was a part of our life. Right now, I am clear on all the restaurants I'm going to when this fast ends. <laughs> I know where I'm going. I know what I'm ordering. I mean, food is serious business. I love food. We would eat on Sunday afternoons for hours. I'm not going to go through the whole litany of what we ate, but I'm telling you, it was delicious. And we were full after the second or third course, but it went on until it was topped off. So when you think about fasting, don't think, well, I just love food too much. Who doesn't love food? Stand up. We want to mock you for a few seconds. <laughs> All of us love food. It's not an accident that Adam and Eve fell with food, that Esau fell with food. Food is a big deal. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. We like food. You know, no, I... Havla's husband, Ben, uh, is this guy who doesn't care that much about food. But most of us, we really love it. 
And I, you know, I'm looking forward to it again. So when we talk about, we'll get into the practice of it, uh, it is a, a big deal. Now, I mentioned the miracles. Elisha had seen the miraculous hand of God. Actually, all of you have seen it. Some of you have not recognized it. But hopefully your eyes will be open to see it. So here are seven miracles that had taken place prior to the eighth that he needs. He needs an eighth miracle. There's a dead child. Well, number seven there is that woman, the the Shunammite woman had a son. Well, it's awesome when the son is born. It's a bummer when the son dies. That kind of takes the oxygen out of the room. And, and it calls into question, did you, did you give me a son to make him die? And, and we have asked God that question. I've seen God open, you know, one of my books is called Perfectly Positioned, and, and um, it, it begins with a few paragraphs that say, the greatest miracles I ever saw took place with projects that God never intended to complete. Does God get his jollies pulling the wings off people? Does God, I had to realize that those things were not the project. I'm the project. We are complete in him. He's trying to complete me. And so, yes, there were things that I put my hand to that God did amazing things that he he said, you know what, Francis, I'm never going to finish it. But I'll tell you, at that point, it was a body slam. It was a brick wall at 80 miles an hour. And all of a sudden, I began to realize that it is God who's working in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And so let me say this to you. Some of you may think, you know, I'm not sufficiently burdened to really want to pray and fast. Just wait. (laughs) It's coming for you. Because I believe God wants to take you to a new level. Let me think, is God burdened? I think so. He's not up there just sipping, you know, pina coladas in a hot tub. I mean, he he ever lives to make intercession for us. I don't know what that means in the heavenly realm, but I don't think it's passive. I think it's passionate. And so an eighth miracle is needed. So what does commitment look like? We're going to talk about prayer and fasting, which requires a commitment. What does it look like? Elisha comes into the room. And when he comes in the room in verse 34, he lays down on the child's body. And look what he does. He places his mouth on the child's mouth, his eyes on the child's eyes, his hands on the child's hands. And as he stretched out on him, the child's body began to grow warm again. Let me just say this. Most of us don't spend time lying on dead bodies. I hope not. If that's a habit, quit it. You need to stop that. (laughs) But this man, he was all in. This was not like a little bottle of oil and put a little oil there. He did a face plant on a dead child. To me, that's what fasting is. It's an all-in experience. And we'll, we'll talk about perhaps what the impetus for that would be, but he cared enough to give all he had. Um, what should you and I do when we feel like giving up? Well, we should keep plotting. We should keep praying. We should pray it forward. What happens? So the child is only getting warm. It's not, he's not done. So he gets up, verse 35, walks back and forth across the room, 
And then again, stretched out. This time the boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. So all I would say was there's a process, there's a sequence. Um, when we hear about the miracles, we, we, uh, one of the textbooks I wrote years ago was on super, uh, spirit-led evangelism. And we took every verse in the Gospels and the book of Acts and connected a gift of the Spirit and a fruit of the Spirit to those verses. And with the gifts of the Spirit, we determined in all the events of the life of Jesus um, that there were more healings than miracles. And there were more words of wisdom and words of knowledge and words of prophecy um, than miracles. There, there was only a select number of miracles per se that are recorded. I'm not limiting. I'm just saying that miracles in that sense are not going to happen. In the life of Elisha, 28 recorded miracles. Elijah, 14. And yet miracles do happen and they can happen, but we, we should never stop praying for miracles. I'm believing. You know, what am I praying for? I'm just praying for like the end of racism in America. It's a little thing. And you may say it's just too big an enchilada. Well, the devil's praying for racism in America to continue. So someone's got to pray for that. You know, we had the march. I know you guys were part of that. And we had maybe 4,000 hats that said, walk with me. And, you know, I'm directly involved in encouraging. There was the largest march ever, over 30,000 people. And, and immediately, we're, we're immediately brainstorming again. How can we again attack? And there were other marches that took place in our city that were, you know, not quite as kumbaya-ish as the march we had. But um, I'm believing that the enemy's not going to tear our city apart. It's not going to divide the churches apart. But I know if that I wasn't fasting, I would be. Right, I start right now because to me, that's the battle that we're in. So verse 37, then Elisha summoned Gehazi, called the child's mother, he said, and when she came in, Elisha said, here, take your son. And she fell at his feet and bowed before him, overwhelmed with gratitude. Then she took her son in her arms and carried him downstairs. That's a good day. That's a good day. All of us would like to have those good days. And we will see them. I've seen in my, you know, my book, I talk about some amazing days. Days you're going to go, that's unbelievable. I remember when a guy came to my house to put a door in my house eight years ago. And I had just been talking to Lou Engel about you know, what I was feeling for Sacramento. And um, the guy who came to my house, and I was right at that precipice of God calling me from just being a local pastor to getting a vision for the whole city. And when I met the guy who was going to put a new door in my house, he, I said, what's your name? He goes, Sacramento. I said, I'm sorry, what's your name? He goes, Sacramento. Wow. Sacramento was coming to my house <laughs> to put a new door in. Now, I may not be the sharpest tack in the box, but I still connected the dots at that point. Verse 30, in that same book of Second uh, Kings chapter 19, this is a great intercessory verse, and the remnant who have escaped. How many of you have escaped from the world? You've escaped from the world. You're part of that remnant. Come on. You were rescued. Be a little more excited. How many of you have been rescued out of the world? And the remnant who have escaped shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. You're part of a remnant. On the whole planet right now, they estimate maybe 6% of the people on the planet are born again. That's it. 
You know, there's people under the Catholic you know, moniker, but in terms of being born again, you're maybe one in 20 who are breathing. What responsibility do we have with that? I will tell you something that I believe with all my heart. Sacramento is called to be a breakout city. Sacramento is called to be a city to lead our nation. Do you know that one of the, the men who's a dear friend, Pastor Sam Rodriguez, uh, was one of those who prayed at the inauguration? And it's a tense thing because not every Hispanic's excited that he was there. But he was obeying the Holy Spirit and, and he read from Sermon on the Mount. And as far as I know, everything he said was really good because it was the words of Jesus. And so uh, he has prophesied and I'm, you know, he's one of the clearest thinkers in the region. Banning feels the same way. Many of the leaders do. That Sacramento is called to be a breakout city. Well, either you should move or you should maybe recognize that's the call that's on our lives. You know, we all want to catch a breeze in our life. We all want to be able to see God do something mighty. Well, don't despise the day of small things. And if you're going to fast, it's day after day of small things. <laughs> it's day after day of sowing seed, waiting for something grand. When I mentioned, and that video is maybe a year and a half old, when I mentioned whiteboards, we wrote things down, and our intercessors, 15 or so, are under... When I go like this to them, that means it's completely confidential. They are off the team if they ever talk to anyone about it. But we have written things down on a whiteboard and said, we're believing for this. And I remember writing the death, like, that's absurd. That is, there's no way that's going to happen. And then months or years later, it's in play. Now, is it being threatened? Yeah, it's, it's, it's being threatened right now. And so it's all, hand on, all hands on deck. Because everything, you know, that can be shaken will be shaken. That that what is meant to remain remains. Now, you're part of the remnant. Here's a sequence for all of us. Your pain or burden leads to a passion, which will then lead to your purpose. Now, uh, my pain, I had father wounds, which led, there's a beautiful African-American man I met with today. He's reading my father wounds book. And uh, he said today, just a gifted, godly guy who said, I want to help lead a father wounds. I've done a number of father wounds class in our church. I want to help lead one. But he said, reading my book really, really helped him about his father wounds. Well, um, my father wounds were a major deal for me. I couldn't call God father the first two years I was a Christian. The day my father died, I wished he would drop dead. My twin brother and I were home from college, and we said we wish he would drop dead. And two hours later, he suddenly dropped dead. So I had mega father wounds. But now I spent, I just greeted, I do a lot of group home things. Um, I just greeted girls that came to our church and guys last night and today from group homes. Uh, but my pain led to my passion, which has led to my purpose. Now I want to superimpose. You may know my wife didn't have a lot of pain growing up. She had leave it to beaver. You know, she had her spot at the table and it's awesome. But do you have a burden? You know, is there somewhere in your life something that you would say, this is important to me? Something you would fight for? How many would say you do? There's something in your life, something that's worth fighting for. Well, if you can get in touch with that burden, 
Let's say that's a God-given burden. Let's say that God gave you that because he wants you to be part of seeing a breakthrough in that dimension. I believe that. So your pain, your burden can lead to your passion, lead to your purpose. One of the great revivals in the Old Testament was a man named Nehemiah who saw the condition of Jerusalem when the walls were broken down. And it says in chapter 1 of verse of, of Nehemiah, verse 3, the survivors who were left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down and the gates are burned with fire. So it was when I heard these words, I sat down and I wept and I mourned for many days and I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. You know, I do believe some things should break our heart. Jesus wept at different points. Obviously, in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane, the Bible says, in being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. If the God of the universe can come to earth and write a script for his life that includes intercession for something that needs to be transformed, that's the call in our life. So Nehemiah wept more and prayed fasted. He was all in. Then he went before the king. He was his cupbearer. He was the guy that drank the wine. And if he didn't drop dead, then the king was able to drink it. But, but the king would never want anyone to have a sour face in front of him. But one day the king noticed his countenance was seen morose and sad. And he said, what's wrong? And at that point, I mean, if you were sad in front of the king, you could be killed. He shared the burden. And the king Miraculously, God moved. The king's heart is in the hands of the Lord, and he turns it with us wherever he will. God moved. And so now, he's now in Jerusalem. He's rebuilding the wall, the things that are broken down. And yet there are enemies. There are three particular enemies against you. I am now going to segue to talk about what are the three enemies in your life that would keep you from caring enough to lay your life down, to be all in would make you, uh, we talked about shame and worship, things that would, would make you think you're nothing, you're insignificant, there's nothing you could do. You know, just get to heaven, barely survive. How could God use you with all you've been, with all you've done, even with errors in your life right now? How could God lie in the lie, la lie, lie, la lie, la lie, la lie? It's a Paul Simon song. Anyway... So verse 19 of chapter 2, but when Sanballat, here are these guys, their names are, are, they sound bad, the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite, and Geshen the Arab heard it. When they heard they were trying to build the wall, they laughed at us. They despised us. You're believing for Sacramento to be a powerful city? Ha! It's the capital of California. Nothing good's going to come out of California. What is this thing that you are doing? Will you rebel against the king? Tonight on the way over here, I talked to a dear friend who is a pastor in the capital. He's been a friend for 35 years. Um, and he goes, he'll go tomorrow to the capital to reach out to legislators, assembly and senators, and, and have Bible studies and pray for them and love on them. He's going into the lion's den, if you will, to reach out to love on people. So the first attack here comes by Sanballat, laughing, despising. The enemy uh, is diminishing our identity. So here's the slide. Sanballat is saying, you're nothing. The truth is, I'm called of God. How many are called of God? 
How many fight the feeling of being nothing? All of us do. I do. Not that our sufficiency is anything. That we should think anything of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God, the Bible says. The fact that we feel inadequate is our credential. I know I can't do it. There's nothing I can do. You know, Jesus said, you're planting and watering. You know, it's nothing. But my increase, that's the difference maker. So you're never going to feel powerful fasting. You're going to feel weak. You're going to feel hungry. You're going to feel... I remember people saying, you know, don't you just feel hungry the first three days? I feel hungry every day. Every hour. How about every minute? You know, other people can feel what they feel. I just love food. So, God never created nothing. Everything created as value, and you are a son and daughter of God. So, it continues, Nehemiah 2.20. So I answered them and said, the God of heaven himself will prosper us. You got to answer the lie. I'm not nothing. The God of heaven will prosper us. God has called Sacramento to be a breakout city. When I met with Banning, when he first was contemplating coming down, we met at a, the parking lot of Akeros late at night. And I was talking about what God was doing here, what we're believing for. And he came in full bore, all in. He continues to be an incredible blessing. Anytime I ask Banning for help, he's in. He's in. I could barely finish the sentence. He's in. Whatever. So you have an all-in pastor in a city that needs leaders to be all in. And the battle's raging. This Thursday, and we'll be meeting uh, with key leaders from the LGBTQ community. 50 pastors will be meeting with them. Because when a goofy so-called pastor in June said that gays should die, and we got wind of it, we wrote a statement counteracting that, that God does not wish people in the LGBTQ community should die after 40 of them were killed in a gay nightclub in Orlando. And so this is a miracle that a precious pastor, a woman of God, when 2,500 picketers were picketing this man's church, and it was on Father's Day last June, well, they had nowhere to go to the restroom. And her church, little church, was three doors down. And she opened her doors and a thousand people used her restroom. And she loved on them and gave them water. And they were so blessed and so impacted, they brought flowers the next Sunday to the church. And that opened the door for us to meet uh, Pastor John Jackson, Pastor Lance Hahn, myself, Rick Cole, uh, Joy Johnson, and myself and Sandra Roberts met with key leaders from the LGBTQ community in August, then again in October. And now we're having a dialogue because they're having... Young people who are committing suicide, who are depressed, and feel like statements the church made, and this was a fringe guy we've never met, who made those bizarre statements, but we were able to say to them, we don't want crazy fringe dimensions of Christianity to speak for us, and we assumed and said to them, just like you don't want... Fringe dimensions within your community to speak for you. So why don't we come together and talk about maybe some things we can agree on. You know, we're not going to give away any of the spiritual theological farm that we believe is vital, but maybe there are some things we can 
And so we'll be talking about that this Thursday. It's meant to be a breakout dimension of being able to dialogue with folks rather than just write them off. You may notice Jesus was a friend of lepers, had adulterers wash his feet. You know, so we're called to be that salt and light. So what happens? Uh, verse three, the second attack, Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and said, whatever they build, if even a fox goes up on it, he will break down their wall. So the devil wants to belittle your efforts. You know, one of my life expressions is, the more I know me, the less impressed I am. And that's not, that humility is just reality. Are you not humbled by who you are? How many of you think you're amazing? Just stand up for a second. I, I, you are, you are. Little Isaiah there, goes to our church there. He's a, he, how old is, how old are you? How old, 10? Nine. He worships in the front of our church like this. You are amazing. He raised his hand. That's good. The rest of you, don't raise your hand. You know too much. You know too much. You know, we should not think highly of ourselves. You know, I appreciate Christ in me, my only hope of glorifying God. But I'm not the main event. He's the main event. I must decrease. He must increase in order for me to decrease. So Tobiah mocks, even if a fox what does Tobiah's name mean? Tobiah, whose name means the good or goodness of God, is a legal bond slave to Sanballat, the other guy. And his opposition is merely an echo. You know, we have people who are just echoes. They're contrarians. They're, they're just echoing the negativism within our culture. And I don't want to be that. I don't want to be that kind of person. But I have also found in studying revivals that a move of God typically persecutes the next move of God. And so when Lutherans came out of uh, the bondage of religion and got saved that the just shall live by faith, it was the Lutherans who persecuted the Baptists, the Anabaptists. And it was the Anabaptists who persecuted the Methodists. And it was the Methodists who persecuted the holiness. And it was the holiness who persecuted the Pentecostals. In other words, every next wave is persecuted by the previous wave. It's called jealousy. And we need to be able to esteem. But Tobiah had that spirit. And so what did he do? He was, whereas the first enemy attacked our identity, now the second one attacks our destiny. The lie is you can't do this. The truth is I must do this. Esther said, if I perish, I perish. What in your life do you know you must do? And whatever it takes, you're going to do it. And I would tell you, if you're burdened about nothing, you should be burdened because you're burdened about nothing. <laughs> that may be the closest you'll get to having a burden. That is tweaked. The God of the universe doesn't have sons and daughters who are burdened about nothing. So, Nehemiah, verse 9 of chapter 6, for they, they um, were all trying to make us afraid, saying their hands will be weakened in the work and it will not be done. Nehemiah prayed, now therefore, O oh God, strengthen my hands, God. Strengthen my hands. I remember a few years ago, 
Uh, I hadn't seen Lou in a while, and I saw him at a, a conference, and I hadn't seen him. We just start walking together, and because we had a rapport of being elders and leaders together, he immediately began to confess the temptations in his life. I and mean, we literally had just talked, and all of a sudden, we're, I'm walking with a man of God who's about to speak to probably 20, 30,000 people, and he's immediately confessing, brother, I'm praying, you know, just pray. Just humble, no lofty view of himself. So what's the third attack? Geshen is the third guy. And the attack came about our legacy, discouragement. You'll never finish. You'll never finish. The encouragement is God will help me finish. I will finish well. Say, turn to the person next to you and say, I will finish well. I will finish well. I'm going to finish well. I'm going to finish well. Happy birthday, my brother. 60 years old today. 60. You're going to finish well. Now, I'm going to go through some slides now, practice about fasting. Esther, I'm going to go through these really quickly, okay? Esther, she was a godly queen who fasted without water, uh, without food or water for three days, okay? Uh, Mordecai said to her, gather all the Jews who are present, fast for me, neither drink water for three days or three nights. You know, I have never done a no water, no food fast. But the Bible would talk about that as being uh, a complete fast. I've never done one of those. Another fast, fasting person, was Anna. Um, she fasted. She was the woman with Simeon who prayed to see the Lord Jesus, uh, the, the, the Messiah, come. And she was 84 years old, so she fasted with fastings and prayers day and night. So you can be an old dudette and be fasting. You're never too young or too old. Paul the Apostle fasted, even with people on a ship where they were in a desperate situation, and they fasted. Even non-believers at that point were fasting. I remember uh, when I was into Eastern religions, and again, so there's no points in just fasting. I went on, I didn't like the words that were coming out of my mouth, so I was living in Hawaii, and I went on a voice fast. And for three days, I didn't say anything, and, and I was St. Francis. And then I remember I broke the fast by pulling someone aside and chewing them out. <laughs> I wasn't a Christian, but I was trying to change me. Anyway, so, so here are our different kinds of fast. A complete fast, no food or drink. I mentioned three days, three nights. A number of verses in the Bible, Ezra, Mordecai, Esther, Saul of Tarsus did that. I've never done it, though. A normal fast, no food, drinking only water. Uh, this water may be in the form of drinking water, lemon water, herb tea. Not recommend at that point doing coffee and caffeinated teas. I, I did a lot of just water fasts in my youth. I don't, I've not done any in a number of years. And some funny stories I remember, and, and this is if water fast, if you do water, I remember after a seven-day water fast, <laughs> I broke it on pizza. This is not good. And at 2 o'clock in the morning, I am, we've only been married for a couple of years, I am screaming in the bathroom, asking my wife, and imagine what's happening in that bathroom, uh, to come in and pray for me. So it was not a high point. I remember the moment, me screaming, like, and I blew it. I remember another time, I was on a seven-day fast, and uh, alone in a cabin in, in uh, the, the winter in Lake Tahoe, surrounded by snow, uh, and I, I stood up one morning, um, and the seventh day, and I passed out. And when I woke up, I woke up, I'm looking up, and it's all dark. 
and I'm looking up the funnel of the chimney. I had fallen into the fireplace. Thank God the fire was completely out. And, and so when I got up, there was no running water in this cabin. There was no running water. And so I walked outside. I got a mirror, and I was filled. My whole body was filled with soot. So be careful when you stand up on water fasts. A liquid fast, drinking only liquids. That's what I do now. Um, some options there. For me, this is what I do. I, I'm giving you my regimen here. Uh, half of the contents are water or ice, uh, fresh or frozen, protein powder. You know, w- when I began to, um, in, in, the, in 1981, um, I had not heard, I was born again in 72, I had not heard God's voice clearly um, until I was taking a shower in 1981. Never heard his audible voice, but he spoke to my heart that I would teach people how to hear God's voice how to hear his voice. And so <clears throat> um, I, I went on a lot of fasts. And so whenever I wasn't traveling as an evangelist, I fasted. Uh, and it hurt my body. All of a sudden, I began to collapse physically because I was fasting too much. So I began to realize my body's the temple of God, glorify God in my body. I've got to learn how to fast. So even when I'm doing liquid fasts, I'm doing now, I'm trying to get the vitamins in me. I take vitamin C, a little bit of almond milk, a little bit of kale, um, chia seeds, flax, rice bran. And then at night I do vegetable soup, um, that, liquids. Uh, then I puree uh, uh, some steaks. And no, I'm kidding. So um, <laughs> I'd love to do that. Um, and then um, number four, and, and I, you know, uh, number four, partial fast. Eliminate certain foods, meats, sweets, um, pleasant foods, entertainment, social media. It's recommended that those who have never been involved in a normal fast or a liquid fast, normal fast is just water, liquid fast, uh, drinks, but, but not any, anything to chew. Uh, perhaps no great relationships with a partial fast. And I think it's a good thing, guys. Uh, 40 days, you can do 40 days without something. And it always costs you something. If it costs you nothing, it's not a fast, Okay. Garage sales, you know, you're giving away what you don't want. It's, you know, this has to cost you something. But what happens in a fast, I feel safest when I'm fasting. I love the womb of the fast. I love the dependency of the fast. I, love, I don't like the weakness of the fast or the emptiness of the fast or the hunger of the fast. But I like the fact that there's focus in the fast. And I feel like somehow that connection with God is clearer I do like, in the longevity, seeing the fruitfulness and God answer prayers. Now, it's, he's, not a, you know, he's not a sugar daddy. He's not just up there to answer our prayers. But we have seen, I do see movement. I felt even this Saturday, even though the conversations were difficult, I've been waiting. God, give me clearer direction for this next season. And so those conversations were very significant. And I felt led to share certain things that I had not yet shared with them. And I felt that was a, um, an increase of, of insight. Partial fast in the Bible. Daniel ate only vegetables, drank water. Elijah, partial fast of cakes, meal, oil. John the Baptist, locusts. If you can get some good bugs, it's always awesome. And honey, um, last year I did a 40, um, it was actually the year before, we're now in, in 2017, 2015 I did a 40-day liquid, but as it was ending, I was away with intercessors, uh, and I, I felt like the Holy Spirit was saying, it's, it's not over. And so I remember they were concerned, you know, you're going to hurt? No, I said, no, I just, I don't know what it is, I just feel, and then I segued into a 40-day 40, uh, 40 um, 
Daniel fast of just vegetables. Um, and, but then I found as I was ending, on this, you know, the 79th day, I feel like the Holy Spirit said, end it, don't do 40. I remember in L.A., during that L.A. season 25, 30 years ago, uh, there were a number of 40-day fastings going on uh, with some powerhouse things. And I found myself fasting at the same time. I didn't know they were doing it. I found out later. And they really were pushing 40 days, 40 days. And I felt like there was ego involved in it. And I, and I, I must say, I delighted in going to them and saying, you know, God really spoke to me to stop at 39 days. I remember just having these lengthy discussions with these guys. They'll, they'll lather it up, you know. And I, I said, you know, I was just trying to take the wind out of their sails that, you know, we, we kind of put our little notch on the Bible like I fasted 40 days. The issue is be obedient, okay? Don't be creative. Just be obedient. Ask God what he wants you to do. You've got another week before you consider that. Now, examples of partial fast, drinking fruit juices, eating bland foods, eliminate meats, sweets, fruit, nuts, uh, vegetables. There's no best partial fast. Then there's corporate fast that you guys are doing. Judah uh, under King Jehoshaphat. Ezra. Joel did a partial fast. Banning's called that here. Uh, a group fast uh, is an awesome thing to do. And so here are some of the benefits in closing here. We're going to pray. Someone come to the, uh, any worship leader here, please come. Benefits of fasting. It humbles you. You know, if God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You know, one of my life goals, and I'll talk about it in here, is a strategy of humility. If God's going to um, give grace to the humble, I can't invent what I should be doing. But I can ask God, what would you like me to do that will produce that grace of humility that can activate the grace of God? And so I find a strategy of humility goes, you know what, Lord? I am open to obey you. And the Bible says, humble yourself. It doesn't say God's going to humble you. It says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. So it's not a bad thing for you to consider how does God want to humble me? Somebody smile at me right now, okay? It's a good thing. It's not, it's not a bad thing. This is good here. Uh, establishes priorities. You know, that's why I feel safe. Oftentimes, I feel like I need to get a clearer view of what's ahead. I need to see more clearly. And fasting, it like blows away some of that fog. And, uh, you know, uh, for the first, I would say the clearest day I had so far. Susie was away, so it was kind of, I'm going to go away for a number of days by myself at the end of this fast, but I felt like, Saturday was a watershed day yesterday in clarity. Workout areas of imbalance. We all have them in our life. Makes us appreciate what we have already. Gosh, we are the most spoiled generation in the history of the world. Shows you what's most important in life. I mean, I've already told my wife she's been gone two nights. She cannot leave again. It's over. Forget it. More sensitive to God's spirit. You know, years ago when they had safe crackers, they would file the calluses from their fingers. When they had safes that required that sensitivity to get the gyrations of the lock. Well, I find fasting eliminates the calluses. I don't fast to see how spiritual I am. I fast to see how spiritual I'm not. In the natural, when you're fasting, without getting too graphic here, Things that come forth from you are not necessarily beautiful. So I don't see the best coming from my life. I see, when I have seen in my life an edginess, well, that was there. It's just being highlighted. I want to get that off me. 
spotlights areas of weakness and susceptibility. It provides a greenhouse of God's presence. You feel safer, weaker, but safer. Joel said, announce a time of fasting. Call the people together for a solemn meeting. Bring the leaders and all the people of the land, the temple of the Lord your God, and cry out to them. Final verse here. Joel said, that, that is why the Lord says, turn to me now while there is time. Let's all stand together. Give me your hearts. Come with fasting and weeping and mourning. You don't have to pump it up. If you don't feel an unction to weep over things, then don't weep. But you may feel an unction. God may break your heart about something. You're praying for a loved one that you care about that is lost. Your children, parents, brothers, sisters. Don't tear your clothing in your grief, but tear your hearts instead. Return to the Lord your God, for he's merciful and compassionate. Slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love. He's eager to relent and not punish. At the end of every one of my emails for years now, I have a quote from Hudson Taylor. It inspires me because there's nothing God is asking me to do that's possible. I have nothing on my list. Everything's impossible. And his quote was this, first, it's impossible. Then, it's difficult. Then, it's done. Is there any unction in your heart tonight that God has put there that maybe is a burden? Maybe it's the cloud the size of a fist on the horizon. Again, it was Elijah who sent his servant out. Go out again. Go again. He said, it's there. It's there. Go look again. Look again. You may feel I have no burden. Look again. And when he saw the cloud the size of a fist, he said, it's going to rain. It's going to rain. It's going to rain. Maybe Banning blew it by sending me here. Or maybe God is trying to alert you like he's alerting me. This is not a competition, folks. Passing is a very personal thing. But I believe it's a scriptural reality and it could help you in your own life get closer to the Lord because you are his project. So Father, I thank you for these dear men and women. I thank you for the call of God that is on not just their lives, but upon this church, but upon this region, even upon our nation, God. We claim, Lord God, that the grace and the calling of God on our nation, upon our city, upon this church, will be realized, God. And so we put our hand in the plow. We will not look back. We will not look to the right or the left. But we believe in faith that the call of God is on our life, Lord. And that he who has called us is faithful, who also will do it. So we cast aside unbelief and doubt and fear and indifference and stubbornness and we open our hearts to receive humility and passion and conviction and the fruit of the spirit that is the least American fruit of the spirit called self-control and we ask that you would discipline our souls God to obey your spirit God I pray during this time of prayer and fasting that your spirit would come upon your people and they would hear you in a special way and even the cry of their heart they would see answer to prayer God they would see you supernaturally move in their midst God 
that no weapon formed against them will prosper. And God, those who have never seen you move in a mighty supernatural way would see that take place, God. Lord, we claim our children, just lift your hands up, we claim our children to follow you, God. We claim our children's children to follow you. We pray for our loved ones, our parents, our brothers, our sisters, our cousins, our neighbors, our co-workers, God. We claim a move of your spirit, God, in our city, Lord. We claim, God, you're going to push back the works of darkness, God. Lord, we know that when an arrow is being pulled back, as it's getting further and further and further from the target, it's building up a greater thrust. And so revivals have happened historically at lower tide moments. And the lower the tide, the greater the movement of the Spirit of God. So we don't despise the day of small things, God. We don't believe, Lord, the enemy is going to win. But you have called us to believe for the supernatural power of God to come upon our lives, God. Come upon our marriages, God. Come upon our children, God. Come upon our loved ones, God. We claim it, God. Would you pray this prayer with me out loud from a sincere and tender and broken heart? Heavenly Father, I present my body to you as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is my reasonable service. I don't want to be conformed to this world, but I want to be transformed by the renewing of my mind that I may prove what that perfect will of God is. Lord, I pray as men and women leave this room and maybe some listening by tape or by uh, CD or by audio as they listen to what's been said, as they ponder Is God speaking to me that you would drop that seed of faith in their hearts? That you are calling us to a time of allowing you to be our increase. Allowing you to fill us with your spirit, God. That in our weakness, you might be made strong. I bless this church, God. I bless, Lord, Jesus' culture and their future. I thank you, Lord, they have obeyed your spirit in coming here. I speak life and blessing and favor over them, God. Let these 40 days be life-changing for the church, God. Life-changing for each person in this church family. We claim it, Lord, by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Give God a hand. Amen. 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 Do it, God. You do it, God. You do it, God.